This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 21. Today I'm joined by Chad and Matt of Exodus Outdoor Gear. We're talking game camera strategies, what's new with Exodus Outdoor Gear, and a buck named Caesar. So stay tuned. All right, welcome to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. You are listening to episode number 21, and I am your host, Clint Campbell. And today we're joined by Matt and Chad from Exodus Outdoor Gear. Chad, this will be his uh, second time on the show, uh, a two-time offender here at the Truth from the Stand Podcast, and uh, Matt's inaugural journey on the uh, on the podcast. Looking forward to chatting with those guys. We'll be talking a lot about uh, camera strategies. Uh, you know, Matt and uh, Chad were both part of filming a hunt that you can see on the Sportsman's Channel uh, going after a, uh, a buck named Caesar, so I'm looking forward to getting the scoop on that. I did have a chance to run into these fellows while I was at the outdoor show here back in February. Um, had a great time with those guys. It's always good catching up with them and cutting up, so I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Uh, we'll keep this intro short. Uh, of course, I'm usually joined by my sidekick, Phil Marchek. I'm um, hoping that he'll be back on the show here soon. Uh, he'll have some big news when he does come back, um, so I'm anticipating he should be back in, like, in, the, in the next week or so. Um, and with a little bit of housekeeping here before we dive into the, uh, the phone conversation with Matt and Chad is that we will be giving away another Exodus trail camera during the course of this episode. So much like the uh, the previous giveaway, a lot of the steps will be the same, but at some point during this episode, we'll, we'll give out the requirements or the instructions to uh, enter in that drawing for a free Exodus lift trail camera. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and get Matt and Chad dialed into the line. But first, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners at Whitetail Institute for the Food Plot Tip of the Week. Today, John shares a few thoughts on creating hunting and congregation food plots. Yeah, sure. The, 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 main, the main consideration there is you want deer to feel safe using the plot, especially during daylight hours. 
uh, if they don't feel safe, they're not going to use a food source no matter how good it is, except maybe at night. Uh, and there there are a couple of different kinds of plots, uh, probably more than that, but the two basic ones, some folks call them uh, a destination plot. Uh, I prefer to call them a congregation plot. And that's if you have enough room to, if you have enough land to where you can, you can uh, put a centrally located plot uh, and then, uh, you know, in, that's the congregation plot, and then just don't hunt it uh, at all or maybe very rarely during the rut. And the deer figure out pretty quickly that's a safe zone, and they head for it. And then you stagger little hunting plots between the bedding areas and the destination plot. If you have a really big piece of land, almost always you can divide it up, you know, on a map into chunks and make each one its little own community like that. And that, folks, is a Whitetail Institute tip of the week. Be sure to head over to whitetailinstitute.com to check out all their products, including their new Imperial Whitetail Beets and Greens. This is a new product just released that contains a blend of kale, turnips, and radishes, along with sugar beets for attractiveness. This type of forage is ideal for early fall through late winter to help deer through those hard winter months. And now back to the show. All right, folks, we are back. You're listening to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, and I am your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 21. And today, I am joined by my good friends from Exodus Outdoor Gear, Chad and Matt. Uh, Chad is a, uh, what we'll call a, a two-time offender here on the Truth from the Stand Podcast. There's no uh, sentences that come along with that as of yet, um, but I'm sure we could probably work something out. But how you doing, fellas? Doing good, Clint. Good, good. Yeah, been, we're doing good, man. Good, man. It's uh, it's been a little while, man. I know we got to run into each other here back in February. It was good to uh, catch up with you guys at the show. You've been doing a a little bit of a tour lately, huh? Yeah, man. It's uh, it's been exhausting, but it's been good. We've been on the road for, well, I don't know, probably ten, eleven weeks now. Uh, so we have one more to go, and we have a little. Uh, we'll have a little break, so we're looking forward to that. Nice. Where's the uh, Where's the next one at? Um, Madison, Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin. Very nice. You guys were just in Ohio, right? Yes. We were just in, uh, in Columbus, our backyard last weekend. Nice. So I'm sure you guys got a lot of, uh, a lot of local family love at that one, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to, it's always good to be in your home state and, and, uh, you know, see so many existing customers and listen to their testimonies and, success stories of you know last season and how they're using their cameras and uh just to, it's just good to put uh faces with with the names right absolutely so the, the big question is is since you guys have been doing the uh the outdoor show circuit here have you uh, had any time to get out and do any any shed hunting or get into the outdoors at all or has it just been grind after grind these past few months it, it's been tough man we um you know, this we really stepped up our trade show circuit this year, over top of what we did last year. And uh, you know, we actually just kind of uh, shared some of the story the other day. We Chad and I and a couple friends spent some some uh, a lot of miles looking for a deer I shot last fall. Um, that Caesar deer that uh, that they kind of aired the story we have on the Sportsman Channel the other night with our friends, the Life. Um, other than that, man, we really haven't had much time to get out. We kind of kind of been beating ourselves up a little bit about it, but uh, frankly, we we never seem to find very many sheds in Ohio. Anyways, it's just such a big woods type of environment that uh, seems like we do our best when we're in Illinois or Iowa or somewhere like that. So, so no, honestly, we haven't had much time at all this year. And I think the one day that we 
we did search Chad, Chad found one or two and, uh, and that's about it. Yeah. I, uh, I wish I was able to blame the big woods on my lack of shed finding, but my, I think is just a, a complete lack of shed finding skill. Unfortunately, it's, I don't know that it's going to get any better. It's part of my problem is I think is every it's time funny. I go out, it turns into a scout instead of a shed hunt where I'm looking at, you know, for rubs and, uh, it's stuff like that rather than keeping my eyes on the ground, unfortunately, but it's funny. Cause I was, I always thought that I was a really bad shed hunter until I went and shed hunted one time in Illinois. And, uh, and I realized that, uh, that it's not necessarily always a skill thing. Sometimes when you're tripping over them, it's, it's too hard not to find them. Right. Yeah. I look, I saw a post of, uh, our buddy John Mulligan where it looked like he went out for like an hour and stumbled on like seven in like an hour. And I, I, yeah. I, I've never yeah, found one in my so life. Bad. I feel so bad for John. He keeps sending me all those pictures. <laughs> I know, right? Live in Iowa, stumbling over sheds. It's a pretty rough life he's got going on out there. But uh, so what's uh, – I was curious to ask because, I mean, I know you guys are doing doing the circuit and you guys are kind of the grizzled veterans of the, the outdoor show circuit now. Um, yeah, I'm always curious to know at these large kind of public events – because um, I know Matt, you and I are kind of swapping stories when we when we caught up in February about just you know playing music and stuff like that. And there's always interesting stories coming off off the road when you're in a band and stuff. And I'm going to imagine that you guys probably have an interesting story or something interesting that happened during the the, the trade show run. So, what's your favorite part of doing these shows? And, any, and anything weird or out of the ordinary that you've uh, that you've seen? Well, <laughs> your acid classic always gets a little weird. Um, but, um, <laughs> But that's that's just a fun time, and that's kind of a little bit different. That kind of mixes the old uh, the old music days back with the trade show circuit. But you know, it's fun. It's nothing like you know you and I collectively have spent a lot of time together, or not together, but time on our own. Each of us on, on the road playing music, and that you know that area is a lot different than what it is in the uh, what it is in the outdoor industry trade show circuit. We've We've all kind of grown up and we're we're adults now, but um, but no, we do get some we do get some characters. I think sometimes that uh, that just don't know don't know about our brand. That kind of uh, you know they start serving beer at some of these things at like 10 a.m. So it's kind of just kind of funny sometimes, but uh, nothing too crazy. I mean, I I think some of the some of the stories from the music days are probably a lot crazier than the ones from the trade show circuit. But uh, but the Jurassic Classic always has some uh, always has some funny events. Yeah, yeah, I, I bet. I know uh, the the one that I had seen while I was at the uh, outdoor show there in Harrisburg was I was it, it was the the guys that had the bow the bow booth that was kind of catty corner from where you guys were. I think it was Gearhead, um, those small little kind of tactical bows. Um, and there was a yeah. I was actually talking to John and I turned around and I heard this guy kind of talking about the bow and I just kind of happened to turn around. And it was an older gentleman, and he was checking out the bone, and he was really kind of giving it once over, and he goes to start to pull it back. And I'm watching him, and he's really kind of struggling and shaking to pull it back. And I'm like, man, if he gets that thing back, this isn't good news. And I'm standing there watching. I could see the guy in the booth trying to grab the bow from him. And as he was trying to grab the bow from him, the the, the older gentleman got the bow all the way back. Man, his fingers slipped and just dry-fired that thing in front of the entire booth. And, uh, yeah, the guy behind the booth's jaw dropped, and I think he was afraid he just blew up a $1,500 bow in front of everybody. But Wow. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was pretty good. But it was the the funny part was that you could see it coming from a mile away. Like I watched it happen for probably like a minute and a half, and I was like, "Yeah, this is gonna happen." Um, but you had mentioned just a, a couple minutes ago, um, 
when we first started talking of the some work that you guys did with the folks from the life. Um, I know you guys are released or have released some, at this point some uh, a film on the Sportsman's Channel. Um, and you were chasing a deer that you, you had mentioned uh, named Caesar. Um, so can you give me a little bit of a, cause honestly, I've not been able to see that yet. I don't have cable, so I'm kind of waiting until I can find it somewhere on the, in the, in a digital space. Can you give us a, a any, uh, I guess a little taste of, uh, of what that story is about? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, about, uh, about, well, honestly, right about the same time we started Exodus, um, Chad and I met actually on a whitetail lease in Southern Ohio. And, uh, and one of the things that, uh, uh that kind of we sacrificed whenever we started Exodus was we had to give up our, our you know our kind of dream deer lease down in Southern Ohio and and kind of put all extra expenses into uh, starting the company that year and um, so we kind of we kind of banded together one on the company side and then two we decided we were going to hunt public land um, that year and I guess as long as we had to we kind of took on that adventure in, in Ohio in uh, 2015 and. Um, one of the first places we looked at down in this area that I now live is uh, it was just a really cool um, saddle coming off of a main ridge um, in this big woods area that I hunt and Chad, Chad and I hunt. And uh, we kind of picked it out on Google Earth and decided to go in and check it out. And it was like a three-mile round trip to go in and check this little spot out that we, we kind of looked at. And when we got to where we kind of pinpointed on Google Earth, it was it was like one of the coolest setups that I had seen in those woods, and there were giant rubs coming out of what we kind of figured was a bedding area um, going down to the saddle. And at the time when we were scouting, there was about three inches of snow on the ground, so we didn't know. But when I had come back a few months later, um, in that saddle was just a giant main scrape area. And it was some of the best, best sign that we found on this piece of public land at the time. And so hopes were kind of high that uh, that would be one of the spots that we really focused on the next year and put some cameras in there. And in, 2000, uh, in 2015, um, I, uh, I went and checked cameras there on November 3rd, and it was kind of funny that that morning it was, it was one of those kind of heat waves in, in November where, you know, you get a 70-degree day in November and everybody's kind of complaining. And so that morning I kind of did a – coin toss whether I should go into this stand or if I should kind of wait it out and hunt some exterior stands and uh, I don't remember what the coin toss said but I remember last night being like you know what I'm just I'm not going to risk it on a 70 degree day well that day at noon I went in and checked this camera and there was a giant typical nine um, in there broad daylight at eight o'clock that morning um, <laughs> just beams for days incredible length just a really special deer and uh you know i was kind of in kicking myself in the butt for not uh for not going in there after him that morning and and that's where the story of this deer we call caesar started um we were hunting another big deer that year and i just never really i think i hunted him twice that first year and and we never really kind of went in after him we were we were busy focused on another big deer across uh about 10 miles away and uh this year, going into it, after that other big deer had been killed, it was it was kind of the number one deer that I could think of when to get on, and had a lot of daylight pictures of him last year, and kind of kind of scouted all year for him this year, and and thought I knew where he was bedding, and we put some cameras up um, in the summertime, never got a picture of the deer, and then um, it was one of those things where I just had a feeling 
feeling that he was going to do the same thing that he did the year before and show up in the first week of November. And, um, you know, this week, this year, November, November 3rd came and passed. And I don't remember if I ever even hunted. It was kind of a similar story as warm weather. And Chad came down and we hunted the morning of the 4th. And then lunchtime, we were kind of contemplating where we should be. And we, we checked the camera for Chad to go and hunt that evening. And, uh, there wasn't really much showing up on it. And I told Chad, I said, you know, we should go check Caesar's camera and see if uh, CP showed back up yet. It was about this time last year. And went in there that morning or that uh, that afternoon, about one o'clock. Checked the camera. We had stands on that on the back and uh, checked the camera. The deer had showed up that night before, about two hours after dark. Um, first pictures we'd gotten of them all year. Hung the stands. Got in the stands and. Uh, I checked my phone and I realized that it was a red moon night and I was kind of, this past year I've been kind of, um, I've been really experimenting with the whole red moon thing and, and the hunter's moon thing. And, uh, we, um, we kind of jokingly were laughing that, Hey, it's, it's a red moon tonight, five thirty, I think it was. And, uh, we're kind of feeling good about the potential for that set. And man, I'll be danged if it, you know, it's about, 10 minutes before the red moon, we caught a glimpse of that deer and Chad said, there he is. And I looked over and he was at 30 yards and, um, came in and worked a scrape at, at 20 yards. And then kind of threw us through a loop and came directly at us, which we never expected. And, uh, we were in the two, the only two trees that we could really fit in. And then they were tiny. And uh, I think I was about 10 feet or 10 or 11 feet off the ground. Chad was maybe a foot higher than me. And, we had this 160 couple inch deer coming directly at us, you know, being about six feet over his back. And, uh, <laughs> I'm at full draw. I drew on this deer when he came to the scrape and he's coming straight at me with full draw and, uh, didn't really know what to do. And, <laughs> and as I go swing to follow the deer as he goes broadside, there's a limb right in front of me and I can't get around it. And, uh, so we kind of had a little bit of a mishap there. I had to let my bow back down, let the deer get out past us another 10 yards or so. And the whole time Chad's kind of, I'm sure in his mind, wondering what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, uh, you know, we got this 160 inch deer at four yards and I can't get a shot at him. And, and, uh, anyway, so I stand up and turn back around and, and kind of get all discom discombobulated and finally redraw on this deer. And, and he kind of magically turns back towards me a little bit and, gives us that last opportunity and I shot and and honestly that that night we celebrated like we had just killed a giant and I thought that we had and and we went <laughs> we found the last four inches or six inches of the arrow that uh came out you know whenever we shot and um the other side of the arrow was lodged and just looked like a good shot it felt like a good shot and the way the deer reacted it, it just seemed like a dead deer and we found the arrow trail a little bit that night and then we went home, kind of celebrated and, you know, planned to come back in the next morning and we went back in the next morning and it was one of those things where, you know, you kind of, your, uh, your ambitiousness slowly starts to fade as you, you start to get really worried with a deer of that caliber and, and it did. And then all day we searched for the deer and searched for him for, for weeks after that and turned into, now we've been searching for him for months and just haven't found him. And, uh, man, it's one of those things where, it's been a it's been a roller coaster of emotions, but it's a deer that whether we ever find him or not, or whether he shows back up next year or not, it's uh it's one we'll certainly never forget. It's it's had a pretty big impact on us this year. Wow, yeah. I mean that's 
that's an incredible story. And it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, sometimes it's the, it's the ones that it's the near misses that teach us the most, maybe, you know what I mean? Um, you know, it's, uh, oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, in that, and I wouldn't, I would say, you know, the next, the next toad you lay down probably has a lot to do with the, the experience you had with this one for sure. You know, cause those, those old mature deer, man, they're wiry. And, uh, it's, if we ever think we have them fooled for a minute, we're, we're just kind of lying to ourselves, I believe. Um, but that's an incredible story, man. So did, uh, who was filming that? Jack. Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Yeah. So, wh- where did you? Uh, where did you get yeah, your, your was, filming uh, skills, man? I didn't know you. Uh, I didn't know you laid down tape. <laughs> <laughs> I learned from the best, Mister Matt Klein. It was, uh, <clears throat> man. I tell you what. That morning, as Matt said, we went out and uh, we hunted a set. Of, oh, I don't know, five or six miles from from where uh, we were set up on Caesar. And we saw two or three different bucks that morning and the whole time, like I'm just in a mad panic trying to get these deer in, in frame and trying to get everything in focus. And I was just having a heck of a time. I'm thinking to myself, you know, when a, when a deer of, of, uh, one of our target deer, actually, we actually have an encounter with one of our target deer. There is no way that I'm going to be able to lay down footage that's going to be usable. I mean, I was just, I was a mess. <laughs> and, uh, that evening for whatever reason, it was, I don't know. It, everything just, it just worked out everything. And I probably couldn't do it again if you asked me to. And it's just, uh, like I said, it was one of those things. It was probably a little bit, uh, uh, luck, a little bit of fate. And, you know, it, uh, it was an incredible shot. As right. I said, that deer came in, uh, came in over top of a ridge and worked that scrape. And there was a solid two minutes of footage and, you know, four feet or four yards from the base of our trees. So wow. if you've seen the setup, you, you would, uh, <laughs> there was no way it should have happened, but it did. <laughs> oh, it's some of the most incredible footage I've ever seen. Honestly, it's uh, you know, we played it. It's one of those things—the highs and lows of deer hunting. We played that footage back that night, and it was like, it was like you know, God was just handing us one on a silver platter because it was like we had been through a lot that season already. You know, it was it was already a long season for me, just kind of battling through some stuff and and trying to uh, you know, trying to really. <laughs> we've had this quest to killing a giant on public land and it's just been, we've been battering against the wall trying to make it happen. And, and so when that one happened that night and then the footage was just absolutely incredible. So we go back and watch the footage that night it was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, the stars are aligning. Like we have to find that deer in the morning. And, you know, <laughs> there's just the highs and lows of deer hunting. And then you go back in the next morning, it's like your world shattered. Right. So, so Chad, the, the question is, is it, is it more nerve wracking being in a tree with a camera and your buddy drawing down on your target deer, you know, a, a giant and having, and, and having the pressure of trying to capture the film or are you more stressed out when you're behind the bow? Oh my gosh. I was, I was so much more stressed out behind the camera. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, uh, you know, that's kind of, it's, that's not really forte. I don't have a knack for, uh, you know, those kinds of things, but just having the pressure of knowing, okay, if we do get an opportunity, like everything has to be perfect for us to be able to use the footage and make sure you get the kill shot, make sure everything's in focus, make sure your audio's on, make sure you, you pan back to, to Matt after, after we, we do get an encounter. So it was, uh, and I went through the roof. I think I was probably more excited than Matt. I mean, if, uh, I mean, in the original footage, you could hear me breathing. 
<laughs> I was, uh, it was pretty intense and it was, I'm not gonna lie. It was, it was pretty epic. So uh, what's super cool about this is like, obviously you guys had history with this deer. Um, and then the fact that, you know, that you were both in the tree laying down, you know, laying down the footage and behind the bow. Right. And then if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Matt Klein also, uh, also tickled the six string a little bit for this, uh, for this show too, if I'm not mistaken. Is that, is that correct, sir? Well, not for this show. No. Uh, that's for a new project. Those guys are working. So same show, but, um, but not for this episode. All right. But you, you did lay some tracks that we'll be able to go, uh, that we'll, uh, we'll get some audio of here in the, in the uh, near future, right? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Actually, we're I'm pretty excited about that. Nice. Kind of, uh, kind of uh, coming off of a seven year hiatus from all that. So, Nice. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to uh, of of catching a peek of that for sure. Um, so, with with that being said, I know you guys are diving in. You know, you guys are doing a lot of public land hunting and, and, and so forth. But do you guys have any any plans for any adventure hunts? What I'll call adventure hunts in, in 2017. Any trips you're planning to make? Or are you guys going to kind of uh, kind of stay in the uh, in the area you've been kind of hunting the past couple of years and focusing on the public land there in Ohio? We don't, I don't really have any adventure hunts, I guess, uh, you know, to me, that's kind of, uh, I think of, you know, Western style hunts, elk hunts, um, <clears throat> you know, headed off to the mountains. So nothing of that nature. Um, of course we'll hit it hard, uh, October, November in the white tail world. Um, whether, you know, obviously here in Ohio, uh, possibly maybe Kentucky, maybe Illinois. So nothing's really, uh, Played it in the books, but knowing us, I'm sure we'll be in a few different states. Right. Well, I got to share because Chad, uh, Chad doesn't know about this yet, but it's... <laughs> I, I love it. We're getting, we're getting the drop of, uh, here. Good stuff. Just... Well, first of all, Chad forgot to mention New Zealand. We got to go there sometime. Oh. <laughs> yeah. We want to go hunt whitetails in New Zealand in like April when their rut is. So that, that would be a fun one, but it's not probably not this year, but, uh, you know, it's funny, too, because <laughs> we've been so, you know, I I hate to sound cliche because everybody's busy, but we've been so busy the last two years with, you know, trying to grow this company. And, you know, you you sacrifice a lot when you when you leave a, you know, a, a secure job to try to do something like this. So, we've, honestly, we've been pretty humble with our, with our hunting time and really try to make the most of it when we get time to. And I think this year might even be more so because of all the new things we've got trying to we're trying to bring to light but there is one thing that actually i'm pretty excited about and chad knows my good friend paul um who is a friend from back home that just freaking puts down giants on on ohio public land every single year he's one of those guys that just everybody wants to kind of take notes from chad he sent me a picture yesterday of a giant in kentucky um on one of the, it's on a farm that somebody he knows down there. I'm talking like 200 plus inches, Chad. Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, it's on a farm that somebody he knows, like, you know, it's a relative or something. Yeah. He got pictures of last year, and he's got the coordinates, and all the surrounding land is public land, but it's it's like kayak access only. So, oh, it's a little sneak peek of what well, we might be spending time doing here come november november 10th or so yeah that's that's that sounds awesome. like a worthy objective 
Yeah, for sure. I don't know why stuff like that stuff like that gets me going. It's like, you know, it might only work out like one every ten years. It seems to be my track record right now. But um, but when you finally kill deer in, in situations like that, it's like that's a good story, you know. Yeah, for sure. And I'm gonna go ahead now and just volunteer my uh, my camera running services for you on that. In, in case you might need them, <laughs> you just you just play the guitar as we float down the uh, the kayak. In the kayak. We'll just serenade yeah. those deer right to the kayak, man. We won't even have to get out. We'll be good. We just take them from from the water. Um, that's cool that you mentioned New Zealand. It's funny funny you mentioned that because my wife and I were just talking about you know hunts, and I was just mentioned that I wanted to travel a little bit more um, if I can. And um, you know, I know we talked a little bit whenever we were hanging out the outdoor show that I'm headed to Montana for a two week DIY elk hunt and. You know, she was mentioning she's always wanted to go to New Zealand, and I was like, "Let's do it." You know, it's like, I'm, "Let's just make sure we go during hunting season. That way, I can try to get a hunt in while we're over there um, vacationing." But the one thing that we started talking about doing was just, uh, you know, with flexibility, you know, with what I do for work and stuff, that I don't have to necessarily be tied to a location all the time, because I want to explore the opportunity to try yeah. to work remotely like two months out of the year now unfortunately it wouldn't be during hunting season but like during the summer and go live in montana for a month or two every year um and just kind of be able to do some scouting and live live out west for a couple months every year and uh enjoy the uh the outdoors um since i do have some flexibility but we'll see if that if that comes to fruition or or not does that sound like a good plan to you guys dude you better do that that's sweet man (laughs) yeah I know, right? I just got to figure out, like, work doesn't know yet, so I have to break it to them at some point, so we'll figure out how that uh... <laughs> Well, they're probably listening right now. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, if they are, it's like, hey, I really like my job. I'd like to stick around for a while. Um, so, it's, I know you guys had just go, mentioned... Go get your, uh, your boss. Uh... Oh, what's that? Your boss will call you into the office, and uh, I said your boss will call you into the office and be like, hey, listen to the podcast, and... Uh... No, that, that's a that's a no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He they actually have checked it out. It's funny. Uh, they've they've actually asked me about it a couple different times. It was actually right after I got back from my rut hunt in Ohio and and got that nice deer and um and then Mark of course from you know Wired to Hunt was nice enough to publish the the article and stuff like that for me and uh, they actually saw it and they just got excited that someone had like a, a passion that they were actively pursuing and stuff and so. I, you know, they, they read the article and they were happy that I was, you know, having a good time and so forth and, um, happy for me. And then I never said anything about the podcast or whatever, cause you know, I live in a relatively urban area, so I'm not sure who all's, you know, okay with hunting or not okay with hunting. And, you know, I don't want to necessarily rock the boat while I'm at work. Um, if they ask me about it, I'll talk to them about it, but yeah. I, I usually don't actively bring it up just to avoid any conflict in the workplace. And, uh, and uh, so the, the one owner comes up to me. He's like, hey, I heard you have a podcast. And I was like, yeah, I do. And he was like, what's it about? And I was like, oh, it's about hunting. And, and he got real interested in it and started talking to me about it and was super excited about the fact that I – I think they get excited about uh, their employees doing something outside of work that they're passionate about to make sure that they're not burning out at work, um, which I think is – Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is really cool. You know, And I don't know that every uh, employer takes that kind of interest in uh, – in the folks that work for him. So that was, that was nice, but getting off topic here, I want to make sure that you we're hiring or, uh... <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. You got, you guys looking well, I'll, I'll swap you. I'll swap you a, like a project management position for some, uh, for some Ohio hunting access <laughs> or for some GPS coordinates from you guys. Uh, sounds like a fair trade. Uh, but uh, so I, I know you guys, Matt, you, you had mentioned, you know, you guys are really busy and I, and I know that, you know, firsthand just from talking to you guys, 
Um, you know, the, the, just especially with the, 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 the this time of year, especially whenever you guys are you know on the trade show circuit and so and so forth. But you know, I just want to make sure that you're going to have an opportunity to get out and chase some long beards because that is fast approaching. I think for Ohio, what you guys got, what three, maybe four weeks before it comes in yet. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, I think we're like the 21st or the 24th this year. It's a little bit later this year, and uh, honestly, April is like our busiest month. We got a lot of stuff going on in April, but uh, but rest easy. We will at some point yeah, I've be, been, uh, uh, be chasing some, some kings of spring. Yeah, I've been I've been working the mouth call, and the, and the wife is loving my uh, my practice regimen right now. Just uh, so <laughs> she's not. I think that falls second, right underneath the. Uh, the elk bugle that I've been hitting in the house once in a while too. I think it, I think the Turkey call is just a notch below that in terms of annoyance, <laughs> but so what do, you, what do your neighbors think of that? Clint? Uh, we were, we're not going to go into the neighbor realm. We could, we could do a whole podcast on that maybe, you know, cause <laughs> let's just say the relationship is strained. <laughs> it's, it's, let's say we might need counseling <laughs> possibly. <laughs> Um, so speaking of, you know, again, you guys being super busy with your busy month coming up here in, in April, I wanted to, you know, ask you guys, I know we've been kind of talking about it for a little while. I know I've been asked about it just online in the social media space with folks asking me. And I heard people asking as they were coming to the booth, uh, whenever I spent some time with you guys at the, the outdoor show. So if you wouldn't mind, can we get a little sneak peek as to what's new with Exodus? And is there a, is there a, den, uh, a gen two launch of a camera here, uh, around the corner in the not so distant future? Yeah, I uh, actually it's it's funny because um, one of the big things everybody's asked us here in this year's trade show circuit is is what's to come and you know what our plans are and it's kind of fun for us because uh, you know when we launched this company um, it really truly was a grassroots kind of movement for us to really want to see a better product on the market and want to see a better company behind their products and and the way that's been received since we've kind of launched from day one in May of 2015, it's been, honestly, it's been humbling. It's been, it's been one of those things that it really has kind of lit a fire and, and kind of resonated with why we do what we do. And, and people have kind of gotten our message and our branding and what we do. And, and the cool thing about that is it's allowed us to kind of expand our resources now for the last two years and, and really get to a place where we can kind of, take things to the next level, I guess you'd say, and, and really try to kind of move towards an industry innovator instead of just, you know, putting in products. And it starts with uh, with Lift Mark II, which is our second generation of the Lift, which was our debut camera a couple years back. And um, we are in the final, final testing and production stages of, of that camera now. We're about probably four weeks away from, from uh, it going out for, for orders, and we're really excited about that one and the big thing with the lift mark two is um that it truly takes everything that we did with the lift and just kind of literally across the board takes it to the next level so the big thing that you'll see changing is a complete overhaul of our detection circuit um you know one of the things when we launched the cameras uh 
on day one was that we wanted a really solid detection circuit. And we felt like in our testing, in order to do that, we didn't have the fastest detection circuit because we wanted consistency. Well, with the Lift Gen 2, we've, we've kind of taken the consistency approach as well as the fast trigger time approach. And we've got one of the best triggers, trigger detection circuits on the market. Um, the Lift Gen 2 is clocking about 0.3 to 0.4 seconds right now. Um, and that'll kind of be finalized here in the next week or two. Um, it's a really fast camera. It's really consistent. Um, our flash range and the detection range is going to get just a little bit further. So we're moving from about 50 feet to 60 to 65 feet. Um, again, these are things that we are kind of final testing as we, as we move into the production stage. Things tend to change just a little bit as you go from prototypes to production, and um, we're working through that right now. But we expect most of these, these stats to stay the same. Our battery life is going to be about 20% longer. Uh, 15 to 20% longer. We're pretty pumped about that because that's one thing we actually felt pretty solid about before. Um, and then one of the cool things that we're really excited about is just the HD video quality that we're going to be putting out with the Lift Mark II. Um, <laughs> we've been side-by-side -side testing this thing over the last month and a half with a lot of other trail cameras on the market as well as uh, point-of-view cameras you know, in the, uh, in the filmmaking slash TV production world, and this camera is off the charts, really, really high-quality video, and we're pretty excited to see where these things go. One of the things with running a trail camera company is you get to see a lot of cool stuff. Um, you know, you kind of you send out cameras one by one, and they go over, all over the world, and you see some really cool stuff come back. We've got cameras in North Pole, Alaska. We've got them in South America, Africa, um, Europe, and Asia, and you see some really cool animals and you see some cool, you know, some cool landscapes that come back through to our office. And we're really excited with new, this new HD video for the, the level and the quality of videos we're going to get to see of, of places and of animals that, you know, we can only dream of in extremely high definition videos. So those are kind of the big core features of, of List Gen 2. We're also launching a, a brand new camo pattern, which we think is, is honestly the best camo pattern on the market for trail cameras far just blending into most of the environments that we put them in here in the whitetail world and um, I think it's that next level on that end. That's our big, <laughs> that's kind of our big headliner item here in the first, first half of this year. Um, and then we've got some cool stuff coming in the fall hopefully as well. Nice. That's awesome, man. It's a, uh... It's crazy when you say that you're looking that you're going to get you know in that in that twenty percent range increase in in battery life because the battery life in these already are top notch. So I think my Exodus cameras I have the same set of batteries in that I initially put that put in them in October and they're still running. Like <laughs> so, and it's on and, and they're on like high traffic food sources. So it's like I'm getting. A pretty heavy dose of uh, of images, um, and I think the last time I checked was February, like mid February, and I think I was still at like fifty percent battery life on that. Um, awesome. Yeah, so it's like I can definitely attest to the battery life. So one question I do have is like is is in the video just so I have an understanding, so folks who are listening have an understanding. What does that do to your to your battery to your battery life? Um, just to kind of give me an idea. So it's like if if a normal set of batteries, 
um, you know, following all the all the guidelines for using the proper type of batteries and stuff um, gives you X amount of months or if we quantify it by X amount of pictures. Um, how much does that reduce whenever you go into into video? Well, it really doesn't reduce it. It's just that you have to look at it in the fact that when you're running HD video, and I mean new level of video that we're putting out is is very high quality. When you're running HD video, you're taking 30 pictures per second. You know, so um, you run that over the course of 30 seconds, uh, and you're getting a lot of pictures there. I don't know what that is. What's that like nine thousand? Nine hundred ish. Is that it? Nine hundred. Yep. Look at that math on the deer hunting podcast. We 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 do it all here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't quote me on math, but anyways, you're taking a lot of pictures in a, in a short amount of time. So I think you're honestly you're getting about the same amount of pictures. It's just it doesn't register, you know, when you're looking at it in a video sense that you're taking that many pictures. So. Right, because when you're talking about video, you're really talking about frames per second, right? And so it's like, there, what is it, usually like 24 to 30 frames per second, depending on what device you're using and what you have it set at, roughly? Exactly. Right. Yep, and those are a lot lower resolution, total resolution photos than, say, a, you know, a 12 megapixel photo. Even though it's interpolated, there's still a lot more data there. Um, so it's not, it's not 100% the same, but you can look at it a lot in the same way in the sense that you're going to get... Um, you're going to get your batteries are going to be eaten through a lot faster, even though you're getting a very similar amount of data. If that makes sense? Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. And once you mentioned the, I never thought of it that way. So I never thought of it in terms of you know one frame equaling one picture, and I never really put the logic together to to kind of understand it. But once you kind of explained it, it absolutely makes 100 percent sense. Um, so I thought, you know, I thought what might, what be interesting, what could be interesting, you know, here now that we've got some info about the, the gen two camera is, you know, some folks who may be, let's call them, you know, maybe new to the, the, the camera realm or those who are getting new properties that are looking to kind of use cameras to kind of in, investigate what's going on, on on a new property. I'm kind of in a, that type of situation where, um, I just came up on a new piece of property or I didn't come up on it. My dad actually purchased a, a piece of property. So, uh, back home, um, I've never hunted it. He's never hunted it. Um, I'm actually spending some time with him this weekend to scout it, uh, for the first time. Um, and want to obviously put some cameras on it just to kind of see, you know, obviously that nothing is uh, holding or hopefully isn't holding it at this point still, but at least seeing how the deer are using the property. Um, and, but the whole place is completely foreign to me. So I thought we might want to go through a scenario where we're talking about a new piece of property and some of maybe the do's and don'ts or where we want to put cameras and some of the strategies to kind of use cameras on a property that you don't have a lot of familiarity with. So if you guys are going to a new piece of property that you've never been on, like what's the first place or the types of locations you're looking to place cameras just to kind of get an inventory? I guess, uh, um, you know, if, if you're in an agricultural region, uh, for me, you know, with most guys really starting to use truck cameras heavy, um, you know, around Memorial Day weekend, kind of the start of, uh, the start of summer, start of Velvet Fest. For me, it's destination um, ag fields or destination food plots, so high-quality food sources, um, water, water holes, ponds if they're available. And then, uh, obviously, with our background, uh, you know, in in the big woods, um, using those terrain features, saddles, um, benches, and, and such, and then uh, clear cuts. So uh, for... 
for a new property, that's kind of where where it starts, um, and then it's you know taking inventory and then repositioning uh, as as you get your results. And after that first first couple card pulls, right. I think the one thing I would maybe add to that that I've done in the past, at least, is just if you can use any type of you know bait or mineral mineral stations and stuff like that. I've found a couple areas on one of the farms that I hunt that I don't didn't have a lot of familiarity with at first, um, you know, building some mineral stations just to kind of near what I would consider to be a food source to see if I could get some things to pass by that just to kind of do a quick inventory to see if there was anything, um, anything that I wasn't capturing on any of my other, uh, any of my other cameras. But I think that you're right. It's especially if you're in ag land, it's like those food sources are kind of the prime spots to be, um, especially if you're just going to inventory and, you know, it makes nice pictures too, you know, so it's always nice to kind of see the, the bucks kind of bachelored up in a food source eating. So those are always kind of fun to look at. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask about is just like the different applications. So like, I know you mentioned that the new camera is going to have really strong video. So like what type of scenarios would you use the different type of applications that the camera has, whether it's video recording or whether it's time lapse or things like that? One would be certain situations when you would want to use those types of features. Sorry, I had to, uh, had to help my wife get a possum off the porch there real quick. I had to disappear for a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Again, math, deer, and, and possum. Down here in the country, we, do, we do it all here. <laughs> Uh, what was the question again? Sorry about that. That's okay. I was just saying, so, you know, the different applications you know, with the Gen 2 camera coming out, how how the video, you guys are really kind of amping up the video. Um, you know, what are the different types of scenarios or situations where you would use some of the different features that the cameras have? So whether it's, whether we're talking video or time-lapse uh, specifically, what are times or locations you would use those types of features? Absolutely. Yeah, the biggest thing for me is that, uh, you know, 95% of the time, and, and I'm probably biased because we do a lot of big woods hunting again, and, um, you know, my, my cameras are staying on photo most of the time. And if I'm, if I'm in serious hunting mode and I'm checking a camera and I'm relying on that data to tell me where to spend my time and which stand to be in, it's almost always on regular, you know, photo detection mode. Um, <laughs> and, it's just because that's the most, that's the most, I guess, economical or uh, practical way to to go through a lot of data and do it in a fast way. Time lapse is great, uh, I think, for for turkey season. Um, use use time lapse a lot in turkey season just to see when birds are out strutting, when they're hitting uh, when they're hitting those openings. Um, I, it can be beneficial for early season food plot models in deer season two my biggest thing is it depends on what kind of hunting you're doing because like for us and for instance what we do we're usually dialing in on two to four big mature deer and, and special deer that we've we've kind of developed history with and it's time lapse feature really just doesn't help me much in that sense because it's telling me when deer are in a certain space it's not telling me when a certain deer is in a certain space and and i think that kind of dictates why we do what we do but if I was, um, you know, if I was kind of a small, small, uh, small parcel guy, and you know, I had food plots and that kind of thing, and wanted to get kids out and and uh, maybe have somebody harvest a doe and that kind of stuff, I think time lapse would come in a lot more handy for you know monitoring food plots in the early season. Um, it definitely, for me, comes in for for watching turkey strut zones um, and seeing what time of the day turkeys are getting in. 
we got some uh, we got some openings on some of the public land out here that's really large, and I can't cover it with a detection circuit. That's where that time lapse really helps. Right. Uh, video mode to me is just freaking cool, and that's why we <laughs> like them. Um, you know, and, and we're <laughs> we're uh, we're fortunate in the fact that we have access to uh, a few cameras, and and we have cameras that we can put out just to take videos. Um, what I don't like about videos in a hunting sense is the fact that they're cumbersome to go through. If I'm slipping out, you know, at 4 a.m. Uh, to go to a stand and I'm pulling cameras that night before to, to try to decide where I want to go, I don't want to watch through three hours of videos to see, you know, what bucks were where and when. I want to be able to kind of lightning fast go through pictures. On the other hand, sometimes it's really freaking cool to see a giant deer to scrape in broad daylight working, working, um, you know, working up the earth a little bit. And, and that's part of, that's part of just kind of figuring out what works for you. I think we have a hybrid mode, so it takes a photo and then immediately starts taking a video that has worked out really well for us at, at certain times where it's like, yeah, I like getting really cool videos, big bucks, but at the same time I need to know what's going on and I need to know fast. You pull that card, you put it on the computer and you separate it by file type where all your videos are on one side and all of your photos are on the other side and you can go through that data pretty fast. Right. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, honestly, 95% of the time it's, it's photo mode and when it's very serious and we're, we're kind of surgically looking at what deer we want to take, it's, it's really comes down to photo mode. Right. So yeah. that's kind of, I think that's probably the, the short answer for that. We could talk a lot more about other scenarios, but Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, I mainly use photo mode for the most part. I did recently use time-lapse mode and that was kind of Matt, to your point. I was, it was a piece of public land that I had scouted. Um, and I happened to kind of come, come across, a, a Pennsylvania actually put in a, a, a food plot and was doing some habitat management in an area. And I just kind of stumbled across it and, uh, it seemed like a really good spot. I saw a lot of deer signs. So I actually hung a camera and put it on that time-lapse mode to kind of do what you were saying. It's like my first, my first objective was really like, are deer hitting this? And if so, where are they coming yeah. out? Like, how are they getting here? That way I could start to kind of like backtrack where they might be, you know, bedding or, in, or the route that they're using to get to the food source. Um, but you're right. It's like, you can't, it's, it's, it becomes a challenge to try to pinpoint anything. It's more of a, it's a large swath of reconnaissance that it'll allow you to do. So it kind of gives you a large picture. And then, it, you know, for me, at least it helps me kind of then whittle down where I'm going to next from, from that perspective. Um, so as far Absolutely. as scent control goes, do you guys are you guys kind of uh, uh, super um, stringent about your scent control when when checking and placing cameras, or what do you guys usually uh, what do you guys usually do in that regard? Uh, you know, yes and no. Um, throughout the summer, early season, you know, we don't get too crazy. Uh, we always try to keep uh, keep our eye eye on the weather, and if for whatever reason, if there's a storm rolling in, or if the you know if there's uh, rain showers on the then we'll try to we'll try to sneak in and check as many cameras as, as we can. But uh, outside of that, you know, you know, we're not wearing rubber gloves or latex gloves, and you know, we do our usual rubber boots. Uh, you know, we'll, a lot of times we'll spray down or you know wear our wear our uh, scent-free clothing uh, in and out to check cameras. But a lot of times it's it's for us it's more about access where we have those cameras placed. You know, not walking through bedding, trying to access those cameras. Uh, in ways that, you know, we're not going to bump deer and, and deer aren't going to cross our path, at least for, you know, in, in the immediate future. So we're not, uh, you know, you hear stories about guys who, who, uh, 
or wear rubber boots and latex gloves and they're spraying down and, you know, they do, you know, they, they're, they're a little bit extreme. And, uh, so I guess we're, we're a little bit laxed on that, but also, you know, we're not typically in a day, we're not going and checking five or six cameras. We have, we have 20 or 30 cameras to check. So we, uh, you know, as Matt mentioned, we, we run a large, very large number of cameras and, um, you know, a lot of times the cameras that are maybe a little more intrusive, um, you know, a lot of times we won't even check those. We'll just let them run uh, through the entire season and collect the data at the end of the season and uh, kind of use, you know, the data that that camera is giving us uh, for the following year. Right. Yeah, yeah and I think one of the, I think one of the things, too, with what we do is that it is, you know, Clay, you live in uh uh, you live in Pennsylvania, you probably understand, but the places in Ohio that we hunt are extremely weird, rugged terrain. And, you know, you go check one camera down here and you're a sweaty mess and you really, you can't kind of get around that. So I think it's almost kind of, I don't know, I've got this weird thing where I kind of think the deer kind of, deer know us individually by our scent. I really believe that. And I feel like the more that we can kind of be in there and not, and not, uh, not kind of cause harm, the better. And it's like, then, yeah, obviously, once season comes in, we're we're trying to be really cautious about our scent and not not lay it down everywhere. I don't know. I'd like to think that you know, the more time that we spend with these in these animals' environment, we're not hurting them. That maybe they kind of get a little more used to us too. Yeah, I I think there's some I think there's some truth to that. I mean, I you mentioned that you think that they know us by like our specific scent. It's, I would, I would a hundred percent agree with you. I forget who I was, who I was talking to or listening to the one day. Oh, it was actually, um, oh, I forget his name. Neil Daughtry, I think is his name. His, his, his dad, he owns a, uh, yeah. habitat, uh, 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 consulting service. And his dad was a big writer. I think he still writes for outdoor life. If I'm not mistaken. And that was one thing that he says, their olfactory senses that they can actually detect, not just that a deer was here or that, you know, a human was here, but they can actually tell like that it's, you know, Oh, this is Chad or this is Matt or this is Clint. It's this deer, Bob. I met him in a food plot last week. You know, it's like they actually get down to like the molecular level to where they can actually tell which person, um, they're, they're, you know, they're, you know, scenting essentially. Um, I kind of, follow well, they can the, definitely do it with each other. Yeah. Absolutely. So why wouldn't they be able to do it with us? You know? Yeah. I kind of follow the same suit. It's like, I'm not too, too concerned about scent early in the year as as the year goes i get a little bit more concerned about it um the other thing i do is i place some of them if it's you know some of the terrain i'm fortunate it's not quite as rugged as what you guys are encountering um if it is a food plot it's like i'll make sure it's somewhere where i can get to it with a truck or an atv where i can just kind of ride up to it the other ones to your point if they're kind of deeper into the the property it's i may i may not check them till the end of the season or if i do it's like i'll put them in, in the summer then i might do a pool you know at the beginning of october and that might be the only time i look at that card um, but so for the most part, I kind of follow the same, the same suit. So you, you mentioned you're running, uh, you know, up to maybe 30 cameras. So what's kind of your camera density philosophy, um, when it comes to like, you know, so many cameras per hundred acres, do you have kind of a rule of thumb for that? Well, I, well, I'll tell you this much. It changes a lot because, um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've seen, but we haven't killed a bunch of giant butts over the last couple of years. So we're still trying to figure that out. But no. <laughs> But no, I think one of the things that we're we're kind of getting better at is is when we started the company and we had access to a lot of cameras and need marketing materials and you know and you want to get a bunch of pictures. It's like we put them. I mean, we had cameras everywhere, and 
one of the things we're getting better at now is is instead of just getting pictures of deer, we're we're trying to focus in on you know kind of select areas where it seems like the most big deer are living. And once we kind of find those areas, and we found a couple of them this past year, um, when I shot that deer Caesar, he was that was one of those areas. Um, and once we find those areas, it's like we try to kind of, and those areas are typically about a thousand acres, public land areas, and we'll try to kind of cover the hottest spots in that thousand acres where we think that we can pick up deer. And that's kind of it. Sometimes that's a lot of cameras. Sometimes it's not. I mean, the big woods just doesn't lend itself to, to making deer very photographable, I guess, or photogenic. Um, so there's certain areas, like there's one spot I found this past year. And when you, when you dial into where we had our cameras, we had our cameras in about a 400-yard or a 400-acre radius. Um, and I had... I had probably 10 cameras in that 400 acres and there were three different deer over 150 inches that were using this three or 400 acres. And each of them was kind of using a different corner of it. Hmm. So then I kind of was, I, I consistently moved these cameras around because in the, in the big ones, these deer are just constantly moving. I mean, they're changing day in and day out based on the food sources. And uh, so this was my first year in that spot and I still haven't quite figured it out, but, but I know that there are three deer that have <clears throat> now made it through that I have a lot more data of now. Next year, I'm not going to go back to those same spots because I'm pretty confident that those deer will be back in those same spots. I'm going to kind of let the cameras run in those same spots and I'm going to move new cameras around on the outskirts of where I think that they're at to try to kind of dial in where their core area is, where their home range is and, and uh, so it, we're constantly moving cameras. Whereas in other, in other spots, the spot where I shot that Caesar buck this year, um, I think we had three or four cameras in there um, because the year before I had ten, and I learned a lot about that deer and another deer that lived in that area. Um, and <laughs> it's almost like the second year it was almost like maintenance, like we just kind of reconfirmed what we thought we already knew. Mm-hmm. I feel like once we learn. Once we learn what a deer really likes to do, we don't, the next year, we don't need to get as kind of invasive, if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. So just, you kind of just slowly kind of tighten the circle down on him, right? And it's kind of like your approach. (laughs) Yeah, and I think a lot of people, exactly, that's exactly the approach. And then we try to do over the course of a season, and then the following season, it's almost like, okay, we sit back and wait, and then we go into kill. And that's what happened this year. We just didn't find a deer. Um, and I think next year the same thing hopefully will happen with, with this other area where we've got some good bucks. And then Chad's got a spot where he's got three really good deer. Nice. Now, is this yeah, a, a yeah, separate so. area of, of, of Ohio, a different area other than where the, that you're talking about, Matt? Yeah, a few miles. We're, we're, we kind of like to hunt in a – and this one kind of 30 mile, 30 miles from my house, Chad comes down and hangs out and we try to stay somewhat close to my place. And, um, and it's funny cause everybody thinks there's a lot of big deer in Ohio, but we've run cameras in some areas where we never get a picture of a big deer. So we've tried to find the best spot. Right. So one thing I'm always curious about is, is, or there's a, always a big debate about is the type of flash that people prefer. So I guess this is a two part question. One, 
preference of Flash and to do, do you either know or do you think that the different types of Flash have different impacts on deer and their behavior? Yeah, uh, it's a great, uh, great topic. And, you you know, depending on who you ask, you have a different answer every, every single time. But for us, it's uh, it's absolutely Black Flash. That's all that we use. And, <clears throat> uh, and in the in the big wood settings that we're in, you know, there's a lot of, you know, every deer is, every deer is an individual. They all react to things differently, but the one consistent thing that we find is that they just don't put up with a whole lot of intrusion. So everything we do, we try to be, uh, you know, on the camera end of things discreet as possible. So it's absolutely black flash. That's all that we use. That's all that, uh, you know, that's all that we manufacture. Um, as far as, you know, deer having reactions to different flash, I personally, believe it i've i've used uh red glow ir cameras red flash cameras and have you know seen deer look at the camera and then never show up in that spot again whether you know it was a camera mechanical noise whatever it was maybe that deer's just you know skirting the camera but uh <clears throat> we do find um you know back in 2015 when we were initially developing uh the the last our, our debut camera you know doing the side-by-side test with uh other makes and models on on the industry some of those being red flash we absolutely got more pictures with black flash cameras versus red flash and uh you know there's a lot of guys that or i shouldn't say a lot but there are some guys that uh <clears throat> will argue that and they, you know they say that the flash whether it's white or red you know doesn't bother their deer and uh, I, you know, I would probably say that's probably true. You know, all these ants have their own, uh, their own personalities. They all react to things differently. So it's hard to kind of give a, uh, an answer that fits in the shoe box for everybody. So, um, well, and, and then too, Chad, it's like, we talk about this all the time. It's like these guys, and, and here's the thing, Iowa and Illinois and Kansas, those are different places and those are different beer than the kind of deer that we hunt in Appalachia. Chad and I talk about this a lot. It's like, but even still, like, take me to Iowa. What about that one cagey old buck that gets one look at a red flash camera and you don't even ever get a picture of because he never stepped in the frame and you never get a picture of... Like, why would you take the chance? Like, when, when we're trying to put all the odds in our favor of killing these big mature deer, like, why risk it? You know, it's, that's that's what I don't understand about the argument. Yeah. Black flash cameras used to be really poor picture quality, but with some of the stuff we've done over the last couple of years, there's really a lot of times side by side you can't tell the difference in picture quality. So I, at this point, I don't understand. I don't understand the need for red flash cameras. I get the white flash, you know, nighttime picture thing, and that's great. But if your if your true goal is just to kill big mature deer. Man, I don't understand the risk. Why take that risk? Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it's yeah, a couple of years ago there was one particular buck that was on the, uh, the family farm for and for Pennsylvania he was he was he was a nice looking buck. Uh, I got one picture of him. Um, well, I got two pictures of him, but one with two separate cameras. One was in a food source, um, which was a black flash camera, and then uh, I got another picture of him down on this creek bottom, which I kind of thought is where he was living, was down in that area. It's super nasty thick. Got one picture of him. It was a not a black flash camera. He was looking directly at the camera whenever the 
the, when the photo was taken and I never saw that buck on camera again. <laughs> that was the last time I saw him. Yep. Um, so that kind of, exactly. that kind of cured me pretty quickly that, and I think the other thing too, Matt, I think you made a good point is depending on where you're hunting too. I think deer may tolerate things a little bit more or be a little bit more accepting. Like for example, you know, Pennsylvania, pretty high hunting pressure, you know, especially if you're on public land. And even if you're on a lot of private land, particularly if you're in like central PA and heading toward the Eastern part of the state where, I think the bucks in those areas are probably just a little bit more wary of seeing cameras because imagine how many they probably encounter during the course of their brief life, considering that many of them, if, if they're lucky, will make it to three and a half, um, you know, to where, you know, put that against, you know, a buck maybe in, to your point, in Iowa, um, that maybe say he's a three and a half year old deer. Um, he's probably seen a lot less cameras and been intruded upon a lot less than the one in Pennsylvania. Like, yeah, I think that some of that plays into it too. Cause I've even had deer in PA walk to, toward my tree stand. And then I see them looking up the trees as they're walking. Like they literally know to look up the tree, um, which, you know, I know just in, in my encounter in Ohio, I had deer all around me and it was just a different, just one state away was a huge difference in terms of how the deer responded and whether or not they were on high alert, whether, you know, they were concerned if there were people around or not. Um, so I think that might be something that plays into it too. What do you think? hundred percent agree yeah so i have kind of a selfish question here um which is i know i mentioned just a little bit ago my dad picked up a piece of property that's going to help him scout this weekend and it's not a huge huge parcel it's uh, 53 acres which is which is great and my dad will be able to come back to pa and hunt he lives in north carolina so it'd be good to get some hunting time in with my dad again um so for for small acreage you know pieces of land um you know one of the things that you know is kind of I think my dad has a concern with is kind of two things is one, he lives seven hours away from it. I live three hours away from it. Um, so trespassing is a concern for him. So for small acreage, you know, parcels of land, you know, what are your tips in terms of using trail cameras for, uh, kind of to deter trespassing? Well, I think, uh, there's, there's probably a couple. Is there one, the biggest thing is being able to use your cameras to monitor any kind of access, whether uh, it be ATV trails, uh, a gate, you know, um, entrance road, or well road, anything like that, to kind of uh, solidify, you know, who's using, who, who's, who else could be using the easiest access points to that property. And then I think uh, the other thing is really just know your neighbors, uh, know your neighbors before, you know, before you go out and start setting cameras up. I know that's, Maybe an odd thing to do, but uh, you know, if, if you kind of have an idea of what kind of people you're surrounded by, um, uh, you may be able to, you know, not use those cameras for security and use use them actually put them put them to work for you. But uh, <clears throat> anywhere there's easy foot traffic, I mean, it's um, it's not a not a super hard thing to think about, really. Uh, and also the one one quick tip, um, what I like to do on a lot of private pieces. Especially, uh, you mentioned uh, mineral sites and bait stations earlier, Clint. Uh, is getting those cameras elevated out of the line of sight of people. So if, if you do have um, any kind of trespassing going on, you know, if you, typically if you walk, or you walk through the woods and you see a bait station or, or a, miner, a mineral site, in today's age, obviously most folks are going to think, okay, I'm trespassing. Here's a popcorn or mineral site. Where's the trail camera? So, um, I don't know, that's that's one thing that 
we uh, we like to talk about a lot when uh, you know people people have um, trespassing and, and theft concerns about their pieces. Right, and then the nice thing is too is if you have a an Exodus trail camera, there's the uh, the uh, the theft uh, the theft policy too, which is always a nice little uh, little uh, comfort blanket to have with you whenever you're putting your cameras out. True that, man. <laughs> So I think, you know, I've kept you guys for, for about an hour, and I want to be sensitive to your time. I know Matt is uh, is chasing possums off the porch and so forth, so I want to make sure that he's on possum patrol if, if need actually, be. So uh, if uh, do you guys have anything else? I just come back. It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I have to say I don't have any possum problems where I, where I currently live, but I would probably gladly take them for uh, to, to reduce some of the, uh, the neighbor strain that I have, if, if, if you will. But uh, I, I want to be sure to be sensitive to you guys' time. So with uh, with that, I have one last parting question. And since we heard a story from uh, Matt about the Caesar, um, the Caesar buck, uh, Chad, why don't you take us on a hunt? I know we heard uh, the last time we spoke, since you're a, a multiple offender here, um, we heard about the uh, the toad that you dropped. I think it was the first deer that you ever killed. And I saw the picture of that, and i got to say you were looking, pretty, looking yeah. pretty good in that picture there, buddy. It's uh Nice, nice throwback. <laughs> looking pretty, looking pretty stylish. Yeah, I get the look a little run down these days, but <laughs> I get the, I, I get made fun of pretty thoroughly with that picture. Um, you know, my uh, the orange, the orange coveralls, the blaze orange coveralls, and the uh, the unibrow went a long way for you know the, my high school look. <laughs> oh, man. I know, right? Hey, man, you got the you got the mountain, dude. Just take a picture of the mountain, and send that back. If anyone gives you any beef about it, I'll take I'll take that <laughs> all, all day long. So, <laughs> but if you wouldn't mind, man, give right. us a give right. us the the number two runner up to to maybe that story. Uh actually, um, yeah. We could go. We could go number two. I was thinking uh, uh, a kind of a blooper or a, a story that, um, that I mentioned maybe on the on, on the first podcast, just to just a, just a tad bit. But probably about seven years ago, uh, I went on a DIY elk hunt on public land in Colorado with my grandfather, and they had been going out there since oh I don't know probably the mid nineties. Um, you know, there's a group of guys that you know they hunt the same piece of public. Same camp, they go the same trailhead camp. You know, it's just kind of their their getaway for the year. But uh, with him getting up in age, I thought it'd be it'd be cool a cool experience for me to go out there and and uh, you know spend some time with him and, and chase out around the mountain. So we went out. We went out. Uh, actually, those guys drove out. They drove out, and of course, I only had you know seven days off of work. So actually, I took. I took five days off, but had the weekend before and the weekend after. So whatever that is, nine days or what? Well. And uh, so they drove out. I flew out. They picked me up at the airport. And um, that first, that next day, you know, I was still trying to get my my bearings, figure out where I, where I was. And you know, I, I looked at some topo maps uh, before the trip, but really when went in was kind of a blindfold. And uh, so as those guys were hunting off hunting the first day, I was out by myself, um, just doing a little bit of scouting. And the entire day, uh, I was kind of up on this plateau, I guess you would say, this kind of this re- really wide ridge, I guess. Um, you know, it was probably several hundred yards across the top. It's pretty flat. And I just kept running into all these free-ringing cattle. I mean, they were herf cows everywhere. They're just wandering around the woods, just grazing, right? <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so that afternoon... As I was coming off that off that top, I'd, 
I had found some sign, and, and I actually found a, an elk wallow about a third of the way down off off this top. And I thought, oh, all right, well, this is this is promising. You know, it was uh, it was all tracked up and stunk and had a little bit of water there, and there, you know, there were a few cubs right in that right in that area. So I thought, well, I'm going to come back here in the morning and uh, see if I can't catch you know elk coming back up this point of this finger back up, back up the bed or whatnot. So. Next morning I hike in and uh, it's just starting to get daylight, uh, you know, first first gray light. And for whatever reason, I, as I was walking up on this up, up on this flat down down towards this wallow, I had seen something move like out of the corner of my eye. So I just kind of I was walking through the tree, so I just kind of stopped and I was looking and I seen some red legs come through the cedar trees and I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm these cows again. They're gonna screw everything up. Like, this is just my luck, you know? So I stay there for a few seconds, and then all of a sudden, like, through this opening of cedar trees, I see what I thought was a giant, you know, giant, this giant bull. I don't, you know, I'm a, I'm a white tail guy, so I can't really tell you how big he was, but I would guess well over 300 inches. Wow. And uh, at, this time, at this point, he's coming from my right, and he's only, like, 50 yards away. And he's walking directly perpendicular at me, you know, looking like if he, if he stays on, stays on that track, he's going to walk dead in front of me. So I dropped to one knee. I get over by this, by the cedar bush or the cedar tree. And, uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm getting ready for a shot. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to put my release on my, on my D loop. And I just switched to, from a caliper, uh, style, uh, release to a, single hook and I cannot for the life of me like at 30 seconds go by and I'm just trying to get my my release on my D loop and it just keeps breaking over and once it breaks over do it again it breaks over the third time it breaks over I'm like what in the heck is going on here you know so I look down and I was so tensed up I had my thing I was squeezing the trigger actuating the release while I was trying to hook it on the dude. So I'm like, ah, oh, you dummy, you know? So I took a breath, took a breath, finally got, finally got uh, my release on my dude. I look up and this giant bull is 12 yards away from me, standing broadside, out in the open. There's nothing in between us. And he's just looking at me like, what in the heck is this guy doing next to the cedar tree? Like, <laughs> Does he really think this is going to work, you know? So <clears throat> I'm kind of staring at the ground. I don't want to make eye contact with this thing. And this goes on for probably, I don't know, five, six, seven seconds. And uh, right, right I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, what, what do I do? I'm, I'm thinking, okay, as soon as he turns his head, I'm going to go ahead and draw it. I'm going I'm I'm to shoot for my knees. And uh, right when he turned his head, he just kind of trotted off. <laughs> Just no hesitation, no pause. Just turned, turned his head, turned his body, walked directly away from me, down that down that uh, finger timber, and never to be seen again. I tried to, you know, I got on his tracks for a little bit, but it was, it's so dry there that it's not like uh, you know tracking tracking you know, a whitetail through a ag field where it's nothing but mud and uh, dirt. So, <laughs> Dude. done and done. 
dude, that I'm gonna just say that I think that that was probably just a little bit or a little bit of payback for the the toad you killed for your first deer ever. I think that might have been a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of Animal Kingdom retribution right there. Is what I'm saying. Oh, uh, it was it was terrible. I went back to camp that night and I told that story, and those guys would not let me live. It's still to this day. I see some of those guys. It's been six or seven years, and uh, they still don't want me with it down. I, I wasn't sure where the story was going at first. I was kind of really thinking. I was hoping maybe you would shoot one of the cows by accident. I was, <laughs> but but, <laughs> but then, I, then I did realize that you're you're an old farm boy. So I was like, he probably been able to tell the difference pretty quickly. So I was really hoping maybe a stray arrow, you know, like harpooned one of the cows, and then you ended up dragging or quartering out a cow because well, it was you know it was down. So it's you do what you got to do. Oh, it was, <laughs> I, you know, being, you know, you, I know you've, you've been out West a little bit and you're, and you're, and you're going out West again this year and being around those animals of that size and I've cut a couple, a couple good white tails and been around big deer and typically hold my composure pretty well, but being around those animals of that size, uh, it, it just did something, man. I was so looked up. It was, it was, it was crazy. It was insane. It was like, you know something come over me and I just cannot think. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I'm, if, if I'm being completely honest, it's one of the things that I am a little bit worried about um, is just uh, exactly what you said, is being able to hold it together if a, an opportunity does present itself. Because, you know, the the deer I took in Ohio this year was the biggest deer that I've ever taken, right? Um, but it happened so quickly that I didn't have time to get nervous. Like, I didn't have time to get buck fever because from the time I hit the grunt tube to the time I let right. the arrow go, it was a total of 30 seconds. Um, so there was no opportunity to, right. you know, have it walk up and kind of watch it for 10, 15 minutes and get the, get the jitters the entire time. And that's kind of one of my biggest kind of fears is getting out there and having an opportunity with something. And then, you know, having to sit and watch it approach me from 300 yards away or 200 yards away or whatever, and try to have to keep my, keep my stuff together the whole time. Cause I'm just not quite sure I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm able to do it to be quite honest, but we'll whatever we'll see well hopefully hopefully things go well but that's an awesome story man i mean a lot of folks don't even get to see an animal of that caliber in the you know in the in, in the in the woods you know what i mean so i mean that's a, an experience in itself yeah it was man and actually we were out there i was archery hunting obviously and uh you know my grandfather and his friends they they all drew um muzzleloader tags and that was the only bull that i saw that entire trip i mean it was, I don't know, you, you hear guys talk about the weather and, and uh, the heat and water and how, to play, how it affects the, the elk rut. And uh, I, we couldn't even get any bulls to be vocal. I mean, the, the, the piece of public that we were hunting, it's not, it doesn't, have very, it doesn't have a very high success rate. It's pretty low. It's pretty heavily pressured. Mm-hmm. It's one of those places where there's, there's a lot of guys. You're going to bump into hunters. If you want to see elk, you're really going to have to look for them. So... You know, being the first time out there, knowing that now, I think that I would probably approach uh, approach that a little bit different. But you know, you would learn. Right. Well, it sounds like here in the uh, here sometime in the future, whenever everything kind of when 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 we have some time, it sounds like maybe we should do a uh, a group elk hunt. How's that sound? Yeah, I'm down. Down, Matt. You down? Come turkey hunt with me. Never mentioned that. What's that? 
I said, "You're supposed to be coming to Turkey on. You never have mentioned that." Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to, man. As long as the, as long as the invite's still good, you let me know. Uh, you let me know that when there's a weekend that you're free, man. Because I know you guys are crazy busy, and I'll, uh, I'll be in the old Dodge Ram down the, down the Turnpike to your place to hunt some long beards. Yeah, might, honestly, might have to move into May, but uh, we'd love to do it. Yeah, man. Just let me know. I'm, I'm, I'm totally down. Yeah, for man. It. I'm, I'm I'm game. I'm definitely planning to come out in April to uh, just to do some do some scouting if you know the, around that public land area that I was hunting last year. But uh, I'm definitely game to make another trip in May to, to to hunt some Turks with you guys for sure. Turks and six strings, man. Yeah, I'll man. bring the guitar. We'll do a little back porch. We'll serenade that possum. We'll be all good. all right fellas i I kept you guys long enough we're we're a little over an hour here man i want to make sure i'm sensitive to your time i know we all have little ones to try to get into bed and and uh and stuff like that so i'll let you guys go i appreciate you guys hopping on with me i'll be sure to put all the information uh for exodus outdoor gear uh how to get to their website and so forth in the blog post show notes uh is there anything else you guys want to add before we get going any uh any uh where can they find more information about you guys any social media sites yeah, you guys can check us out at uh, exodusoutdoorgear.com, facebook.com slash exodus uh, trail cameras, and Instagram at exodus trail cameras. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. I appreciate your time. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. Just want to thank Matt and Chad for joining us. Be sure to check them out and check everything out that's going on at exodusoutdoorgear.com and be sure to visit all their social media sites. Uh, While you're on their website, you can use the promo code TRUTH to receive a 10% discount off any of your trail camera purchases. And we've kept you waiting long enough and uh, I want to make sure to give out the information for how to enter to win a free Exodus trail camera. We're going to use the same steps uh, that we used the last time for the last giveaway. Uh, Three easy steps. So number one, you need to like the Truth From The Stand Facebook page. Uh, Step number two is you need to like the Facebook post associated with this specific podcast episode. So that would be episode number 21. And third, uh, you would need to share the Facebook post associated with this podcast episode, episode number 21. You do those three things and you will be entered into a drawing to win a free Exodus Lift trail camera. I'll, of course, announce the winner uh, in the uh, following podcast, episode number 22, and we'll get in touch with the winner via social media to get your shipping information and make sure to get the product out to you in a timely fashion. Uh, But before I get out of here, I just want to make sure to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, and you can, of course, listen to us on Google Play. And if you feel so inclined and are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star iTunes rating. We'd be very much appreciative of that. And finally, I'd like to give a big shout out to all of our partners that make this podcast possible. That is Whitetail Institute of North America, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. 
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.